How many of you out here enjoy being told what to do? <laughs> Nobody? Oh, I see Lukey. Lukey, thanks for, thanks for playing, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that very many people enjoy being told what to do. In my mind, I'm like, I'm a grown man. I'm 36. I don't need people telling me what to do. But an interesting thing happened that over the last few years, I've been growing up, I've been hopefully maturing a little bit, and I realized that there's actually value to having people around you that can, that can give you wisdom or even show you a different way of living. And the, the greatest example of this happened about uh, just over two years ago. This um, beautiful redhead got introduced into my life, and uh, I ended up marrying her. Now, you have to realize a little backstory. Um, is that over the course of my life, I've been a huge fan of the summer. I'll go out and we, I played baseball during the summer. I'd go to the beach a lot. I'd be out playing. Now it's golf. And I just have always been one of those guys that doesn't wear sunscreen. It just seems like an unnecessary added step. Now, I can tell some of you right now are, th- are even thinking, man, he needs to be told to wear sunscreen. Does he know how dangerous it is? Well, hold on a second. You know, because two and a half years ago when I met my wife, curious enough, she has a completely different philosophy on sunscreen. She thinks I should put it on any time I walk out of the house, and especially when I'm at the beach, and especially when I'm out on the golf course. But every time she says it, there's this little thing in me that says, are you kidding me? I'm a grown man. I know, I know what to do and what not to do. But over time, I've realized that her motivation is because she cares about me, and she loves me, and she doesn't want me to endure pain and, 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 and sunburn and, and ultimately you know, the, the, the effects that could happen from exposed, uh, long-term exposure to sun. And I've realized that over the time that my wife has a very loving motivation to that. And why I bring that up is because as we study God's word, oftentimes we can take a chunk of it and all of it says, it's just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it can seem like it's a bunch of rules and it's a bunch of regulations and that God is just one of these gods that sits up there and says, I don't want you to enjoy anything fun, so I'm going to steal all this stuff and I'm going to tell you you can't do it. But the the reality of the matter is that that's not God's posture when he gives us instruction. His posture is that he loves us so much that he wants us to experience the best that life has to offer, the most that life has to offer. And when he gives us his word and when he gives us his example of of Jesus' life and how Jesus lived his life, we can with great honesty and with great confidence say that God is giving us these instructions because he wants the best from us. Any of you parents know that when you talk to your kids and give them instruction. You want them to experience the most out of life. And so when you tell them not to do something, it's for their own good. And so we're going to read a passage today that's uh, written from Paul. We're continuing on in our series in in Ephesians, um, this ID series. And we're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 18. But as we do that, I want to go ahead and pray to start our time together. Heavenly Father, we would um, ask that you um, allow us to be men and women who never lose the ability to learn, never lose the ability to, to hear good advice, sound advice, and especially godly advice. And let us incorporate that into our daily lives so that we can be the kids that that you have always wanted us to be experiencing the fullness of life that you've designed for us. Use this time, Lord, and help us latch on to some things that will help us experience life to a higher quality. We give you this time and we uh, give you all the praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Ephesus, um, I actually um, have to speak a little bit about Ephesus because on our honeymoon, Christine and I had a chance to go there. And it was by far one of the most amazing things I've ever gotten to do. Not only is this a historic city, but it's a city that is so close to kind of some basic tenets of our faith. Uh, There's letters written from Ephesus. There's pastors um, like Timothy and Paul who spent time in Ephesus. And so to be able to go to the place where this happened has huge meaning to me. 
And so a little bit of the things that we learned while we were in Ephesus, and I've been continuing to learn, is that Ephesus was the second largest Roman city in the entire empire, only second to Rome. And so Ephesus was a major town, and it had a a large waterway that was a source of most of its trade route. It was known as a place where many different um, civilizations around the globe would come and, and, and sell their wares. You would have people coming from the east, from the west, and it became this real um, successful hub of cultures that would, would, would share um, traditions. They would share um, some of their, um, their belief systems. And so not only was it this massive city, but it was also a very affluent city, very rich. They had um, a very modern feel to it. Um, but on top of that, it was the hometown of the goddess Artemis. Now, we've talked about that in the, a couple weeks prior. But to, to kind of recap, Artemis was a goddess of fertility, and she had a temple in Ephesus that they built in her honor. And so not only was Ephesus a big trade city, but it also was somewhat of a, um, of a um, pilgrimage for people to go and visit the, the temple. And it was a massive temple. And also a lot of the commerce, a lot of the, the um, financial well-being of the town rested on this flow of, uh, of, of people who were visiting um, and also this, the selling of things that were relating to Artemis. So there was also... Um, social pressures, if you can imagine. You have all these different um, cultures kind of converging on this one town, and so you would have a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different ideals. So if you can imagine you were um, in a Gentile background, which is um, basically people who do not believe in Christ, and you had, the, um, the, had this Christian population that was starting to spring up. And so there was a, a background of hostility. And I wanted to bring up a picture, um, and this picture um, is, a, it looks like a wheel. Do you have a picture of the wheel? And this, so this picture of the wheel, um, you'll find it periodically as you're walking around the, seat, the streets of Ephesus. And so it, was, it, seemed, it struck us as kind of odd. And so we asked, well, what is the deal with the, the wheel shape carved into the marble? And what this is is actually the earliest um, visual form of what we now call the igtus or the Jesus fish. You're driving down the freeway, you see the Jesus fish, or you see the Darwin fish eating the Jesus fish, and the Jesus fish eating the Darwin fish. Eating the... It gets a little bit out of control. But that Jesus fish, this was its original form. And so when you were in a town like Ephesus and you were a Christian, you're basically saying, I'm going to live my life according to a completely different set of values and a completely different set of of belief systems as the rest of this town. And you're making a stand. And this was the symbol that Christians, as they would walk, they would find the symbol and they would follow it. And as they followed it, they would ultimately find Christian safe houses to where it was okay to come and share about your faith and be encouraged as you lived amongst this very hostile environment. And Paul is writing this in his letter as he's talking about the entire letter of Ephesus. He's writing it to an audience that is fully aware that their beliefs are in complete contrast to the beliefs of the people that live there. And they are in this battle, a spiritual tug of war. You can either either live as the Gentiles do or don't. And we've read about this in in earlier parts of Ephesians. You You can live in anger or you can seek reconciliation. You can live as a thief or you can seek to be generous. Don't live as the unwise, live as the wise. And Paul continues this tone of, you are enemies behind enemy lines, and there's a spiritual battle that is waging. But we're not going to leave you alone in this. We're going to give you some practical examples. Now, as I describe Ephesus, it's not too dissimilar from where we live in Orange County. You have so much diversity from Huntington Beach even down to Mission Viejo. There's Irvine, and there's, there's Orange, and there's all these different towns, and there's all these different cultures that are, are colliding. So a lot of the things that we're reading about of being countercultural trying to stand up for a life that would be consistent with one who follows Christ in, a, in amidst a, a, an environment that's, that's not the popular majority, 
we can draw a lot of encouragement from what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. So we're going to jump in um, at uh, chapter 5, verse 18, and we're going to get into today's um, verses. Uh, Verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The main topic of today's message is be filled with the Spirit. But we can't just gloss over the first part. It's very, very pointed, and we talk about you know, this whole concept of, well, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. And Paul's saying, do not get drunk on wine. Now, the emphasis here is not on wine. So if you're a wine drinker, or beer drinker, alcohol, that's not the, po- the point of the message. The point of the message is the word that just follows it. It says, don't be drunk on it. Don't be... Don't be controlled by it. This idea is, is, um, is a word that means to give over with, with wild abandonment, is to lose yourself. And Paul is saying, rather than lose yourself in, in this, I want you to lose yourself in God. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. And so as we talk about um, these passages, I, I don't want people to get hung up on this idea of, of whether alcohol is okay or it's not okay. That's, that's going to be a debate for a different day. But I want you to understand it's this idea of drunkenness. It's this idea of losing control and giving yourself over to something that is really what Paul is, is wanting us to focus on. Now, there's also an implied, if Paul's saying you need to be filled with the Spirit, then there's also an implication that we're not full already, that there's an emptiness about us, that we're not complete, that we're not whole. And Paul's saying that in, in by needing to be filled by the Spirit, that, that we are in need of something. Now, I don't know about you. I'll speak from personal examples here. But this idea of being controlled or taken over by something is not uncommon for me. Um, I look at things that, that some, some of us do on a regular basis, and myself included, and it's not hard for me to see where I act in an area of emptiness. Um, let me just throw out a term and see how many of you um, uh, aren't, have been familiar with this term. Uh, comfort food. Hmm, <laughs> comfort food. When I was dating Christine... Um, at 10.30 every night, I would leave, and I would drive home, and we're planning a wedding, and we are planting a church, and I was so stressed out, and I had to, at 10.30, r- drive the gauntlet. I had the bakery over here at Vaughn's. I had the, the, the jack-in-the-box over here. I had the Carl's Jr. I had the Taco Bell. I had Del Taco, and every night, I, I was like a 50-50 success rate. At 10.30, I would stop and get food. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> There's no good reason for me to stop and get food right now. But there was a sense of just needing some sort of release and that I was just not full and I needed something to fill that gap. How about retail therapy? Anyone familiar with that term? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, you might not be so happy after this one. Um, but yeah, that idea of like, you know, I just need to go out and get a fix. I want to buy something shiny. I want to buy something new. I was down at the, the river this past weekend and there's just like these massive trucks with these massive boats. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like... When, is, when do you get to a point where you're just like, I have what I need? But this idea of going out and buying things to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, that's driven from this idea of we're not quite full. We, we feel like we need to have something that will, will fill us up even more. Now, I was at the, 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 the supermarket the other day, and I still don't understand this, but when I'm checking out, I see magazine after magazine after magazine, and I usually just, I just totally blind them out, and I just, I just walk through But the other day I stopped and read, and it seemed like overwhelming majority of the titles had something to do with things that you can do to make you feel better about yourself. That's just how we're wired. There's things that we don't feel completely full in, and we want other things to fill us and make that happen. The worst example I can give is that uh, back in college, uh, I had a very acute sense of wanting people to accept me and wanting people to be impressed by me, for people to be uh, humored by me, and so I developed this thing that I'm going to share with you today called the stuntman. 
it's embarrassing now, but back in the day, what I would do is I would intentionally fall down to create like this, oh my gosh, are you okay? And then all the guys that I was with knew that I was doing it, they would laugh and it would be the funniest thing. So I would literally like, walking down a staircase, I would trip and stumble down like a flight of stairs and everyone would be just like, they'd rush to my aid and the five or six guys I was with would just laugh their head off. But then it started to be like, where people at parties would be like, hey, do the stuntman. People on the golf course would be like, hey, do the stuntman. When I was playing in baseball games, hey, trip on, you know, do a stuntman when you're running down the baseline. And it, when I think about it now, it's like so embarrassing. I was, I was so exploiting myself for a laugh. But I was doing it so that this group of people over here would like me. That this group of people would fill a void inside of me. And that becomes the reality that I don't want to live in that place anymore. I don't want to do things for the sake of people being humored by me and accepting me. But that emptiness that I'm desperately trying to fill through that is kind of all of our story. We all have a certain level of emptiness. Life doesn't let us go by without taking its best shot at us. Some of us have emptiness that resulted from what other people have done to us. People that we've trusted. People that we counted on, who let us down, turned their back on us. People who might have abused us, verbally, physically, even sexually. People who might have, who've, have, have left us, abandoned us. Some of us are, have been a part of, of broken families. Others are going through divorces. The, all of those things leave their mark on us. Some of us are experiencing emptiness based on our own doing. Maybe we, we quit and we've been beating ourselves up about it ever since. Maybe we were the ones that hurt other people and there's so much guilt and there's so much shame and there's so much regret that we just keep digging an, a hole for ourselves. Maybe some of us turned to medicating and now we're dealing with, with addiction issues. But the reality is that we all have a certain level of emptiness. We all have a certain level of, of hole about our heart and about our spirit that we desperately want to fill up, but we oftentimes don't turn to the right place. Sometimes we turn to isolation. I just don't think I can f deal with it, so I just, I'm just going to pull away for it and, 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 and figure this thing out on my own before I get back into it. And now, Paul's not saying that those emptinesses are signs of weaknesses or that they're signs of somehow that you're incomplete and you're, and you're broken. He's saying, almost in a casual sense, yeah, of course you're empty. There's not a dispute whether, whether it's okay for you to be empty. Paul's almost glossing over it like, of course you're empty. The trick is, what are you going to fill it with? All of us have that story. It just might be phrased a little different. And Paul's instruction here, as he's, as he's been inspired by God, is, I don't want you to turn to some cheap counterfeit to fill yourself. I don't want you to run to some, some imposter to get a sense of wholeness about you. And he's so stern because he knows that when, the more that we turn to these cheap imposters, we just push God right out. And we don't have, God, we don't have the, the, the freedom and the space for God to come in and do what he's promising to do all along. Our emptiness does not define us. There's an invitation, though, to fill it with the right source. Now, that statement that I said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's where we're holding on to today. We just talked about kind of this concept of being filled, but now we're going to jump to the Holy Spirit. Now, this whole idea of being filled by the Holy Spirit, you'll probably hear that comment in, in most every church you go to on any Sunday. But it's such a Christian comment. It's such a, well, what does that even mean, being filled with the Spirit? You know, we don't walk around saying, I'm going to be filled with, 
I'm going to be filled with anger today. I'm going to be filled with bliss today. It's like, no, it's, it's not quite that common. But being filled is one part of it. But this other part, the Holy Spirit, is one of these adventures that I'm on right now that I am so excited about. I'm a young minister, if you will. And I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface of what the Holy Spirit is, is the role the Holy Spirit has in my life, the offering of what the Holy Spirit is when it comes to God giving it to us, and that relationship of, of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. Now, one of, some of the things that I know that I want to share with you guys, because I feel like it's important for us to understand the Holy Spirit as we talk about this, is that if the Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us who has decided to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, Savior, the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of you, if we let it. Some of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comforts us, communicates with us. He connects us to the Father and the Son. He teaches us. He advocates. He reminds us of things that we've been taught, of, taught in the past. He provides guidance and direction. He provides healing. And he's the very power of God himself. Jesus, on one of his last times spending with his disciples in John 14, 12, you can write that down as a note and you can go back and look at it. In 14, 12, Jesus says, I got to go, guys, but my father's going to send a helper. And when the helper comes, you will do even greater things than you have seen me do. Think about that. All the miracles that we've read about throughout the New Testament, all the miracles that his disciples saw with their own eyes, and Jesus is saying, you thought that was great. Wait till you see what God does through you. And he's not saying that you're great. He's not saying that I'm great. He's saying the helper, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and through his power, he is going to do amazing things in your life. The Holy Spirit is the very power of God that, wants, that God wants to unleash through us. Now, I want to suggest right now that the point of this passage isn't that God wants to give us his spirit so that we can cope with the things that aren't quite right in our life. I want us to, to, to think beyond that. That the Holy Spirit isn't just here to, to provide us a sense of inner comfort and a sense of, man, I can just get through. If I can just get through this life, I can get to heaven. If I can just get through these, this next couple of weeks, I get, to the, I get to the weekend. I want to suggest that God is wanting his Holy Spirit to come into our life so that not only can we experience the goodness of God, and not only can we experience God healing those empty spots within us, but that we can go out and extend it to other people in this world. That God wants to say, I want your power, not, my power not only to rest in you for your sake, but I want it to rest in you for everyone's sake. I want you to get back to thinking about doing miracles in your town. I want you to get back to think about being a healer for the people that are around you. I have this thought in my mind that gives me kind of goosebumps every time I think about it. And it's that I might have a conversation with somebody today, this afternoon, maybe somebody in this audience, that not only brings restoration to their life, and that introduces them to God in, in this space, but that as a result of that, their kids know Christ, and their kids have a sense of the Holy Spirit in their life, and their kids' kids, that, that I might be able to do something right now, today, that will leave a shockwave throughout eternity, and a legacy of change for somebody that I come in contact with. And I think God is inviting us into that. I know that in God, God's word, it's saying to Paul, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, because God wants his power in you. So that when you go out and talk to other people, they will experience that power. And they'll be blessed by that power. And they'll be changed by that power. And I, for one, don't, don't you want a little bit more out of life than just getting by? Don't we? Don't we want to experience a little bit of excitement, a little, a little miraculous in our life? I think God's inviting us into that. And Paul clearly is saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can do even greater things than these. 
Jesus sums it up pretty clearly in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life to the full. If we fill ourselves with imposters, that's that's the enemy's ploy to rob us and steal and kill. If we embrace the idea of being filled by the Holy Spirit, it's God's invitation to live life in the fullness. And that's where we want to find out, how in the world do we do that? How in the world am I supposed to even go about being filled with the Holy Spirit? There's two, two important things. The way that the language is written, one of it is it's an imperative, saying you've got to do it. You won't, you won't make it if you don't. So we have to be filled by the Spirit. But then there's another side that says it's totally passive. There's nothing you can do to be filled by the Spirit. It's God filling you. It's the Holy Spirit filling you. It's not like we can go and do a bunch of other things, like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible this morning, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go evangelize this afternoon, I'm going to go do all these things, and then I'm hopeful that I'll be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's no. You sit back and let it happen. You just be the empty vessel and let God's Spirit come in. But there's a sense of you have to do it. We have to be putting ourselves in a position where God can fill us with His Spirit. So a couple of things that Paul says as to what kind of the formula to make this happen. Um, I'm going to read the entire passage, 18 through 21. A little bit of a recap on that first verse. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so that first line, speaking to one another with hymns, psalms, and songs from the Spirit. (laughs) Don't expect me to greet you with some sort of musical next week. This is not what we're going for here. Nor is it that our lives should look like some episode of Glee. That's not it. It's not it. But I had to wrestle with this. I'm like, what is is he even getting at? And here's what I discovered this week. the, The Ephesian society was predominantly illiterate, meaning they could not read or write. They were a part of an oral tradition. So if there's anything important, anything meaningful, what they would do is they would oftentimes write songs and memorize the songs, and they'd be able to pass on those traditions via song. That's why we have so many, the, the book of Psalms are truths about God that are put to song so that people can sing them. This culture did not have iPods. It did not, you couldn't even go down and get a, a, an inspirational book by Max Lucado. It was, it was a, a, a non-technological society, and oftentimes they couldn't even read. So this idea of, of memorizing psalms and, and spiritual songs and, and speaking them to each other is simply be affirming to each other. Whatever tool you can to be uplifting each other, do that. And the reason it's so important is, remember, they're sitting in a hostile environment. Ephesus was not a Christian-safe environment. They even had riots, ultimately, in, in Ephesus, where Paul was teaching, and they wanted to kill him because the, his, his teaching was threatening to their lifestyle. So they're in a hostile environment, and, and, and Paul is saying, you need to be encouraging to one another. Now, I want to pose a question, and I think it's a filter all of us should use. Are the words that we use to each other words that build up, or are they words that tear down? Or are they words that are cleverly disguised to build up, but are sarcastically tearing people down? I think we need to be really, really conscious of this, because as soon as you walk out of these doors... The world's going to be telling you how you're not good enough. The world's going to be telling you about all the things that you need to change so that people will like you more, so that you'll be more successful, so that you'll be happier. The world does a plenty good enough job of tearing us down. And Paul's saying, not you. 
Even earlier on in this chapter, chapter 4, 29, he said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That is, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul's saying, if you're going to survive in this, you better, as a church, learn how to speak positively into each other's lives. Seek to affirm one another. Point out the good. Other people will surely point out the bad, but we need to point out the good. The second part that Paul brings up, he says, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Again, Ephesus, they didn't have iPods. They didn't have any type of music source. They were pretty much on their own. And this idea of singing a song in your heart, make music to the Lord, would have been this idea of, you're going to be walking down the streets of Ephesus. And do we have actually a photo of that? This was from our tour, walking down the streets. And you can see there's this long um, corridor. And that's just the... Tourists coming off of the, uh, the, the tour buses from, um, from um, our, our boats, our, our dock city. But these sides would have been all shops and stores. They would have had, they've been selling everything from vegetables to figurines of Artemis. And there's, there's clear signs of the brothel that's in town. You're talking about a, a society that is, is fairly dark in the things that they're very openly um, expressing. And so if you're a person if that's saying, okay, I want to live my life like Christ, I want to, I want to do the right thing, I want to make the right choices, I want to, be, I want to live wise, not as the, the Gentiles do, but then all of a sudden you're completely surrounded with the things that the Gentiles are doing, it's very difficult to keep that type of focus. And Paul's saying it needs to come from within. You need to create this safe sanctuary inside you to where you can sing a song that will encourage you and allow you to make it through all of the troubles and all of the inundation of these negative things that you're going to be experiencing. So Paul's saying, find that personal sanctuary. Now, Christine gets annoyed at me on occasion because I have a song that's going to my head. And I'll just come up with songs and I'll start singing them. And, um, and I know Jairus has the same problem. Jairus has always got some sort of song going. He's tapping his foot and we're like, what's in your mind right now? But there's this one song, and I don't even know who really sings it. Anyone know? Is it CeeLo Brown? CeeLo? How many? CeeLo Green? Okay, it's like... If the change in my pocket wasn't enough, well, forget you and forget you too. And I don't even know why I sing it. It's just so catchy. And every time I do, she's like, are you kidding me? That's going to be in my head now for the entire day. And that's the point that Paul's making, is put that song in your heart so it's in your head the entire day. You can listen to it. You can draw strength from it. And you can be encouraged from it. So, so far we have speak to each other in affirming words. Be uplifting to each other and... Find that personal song in your heart that you can, you can sit and give praise to God. The third thing that Paul brings up is always giving thanks to God for the, fa- the Father for everything. This idea is we just need to be aware of God's goodness. We need to be aware of the things that God's doing in our life rather than being consumed with the things that he's not. A couple tough questions for us to ask is, do we spend more time thanking God for the job we have or dwelling on the job that we would like to have? Do we spend more time um, dwelling and giving praise to God for the kids that we have or, or, or complaining about how difficult it is to raise them? Do we spend more time dwelling on what's not right about our bodies or giving thanks to God about the, the, the miraculous order that our body is functioning and working? Let me ask you a question. When, you, when somebody shows you a picture that you're in, who's the first person you try to find in that picture? Yourself. Anybody want to venture Why? Not so vocal now. You find out if you look good. Exactly. You find yourself, and then you're immediately going, okay, what's wrong? What's not right? What's, the, what's not the best? Our mind is immediately wired to go find out what's not 
quite the best rather than saying, well, what a beautiful picture. Look at all the great people. Look at all the friends I have. Look at all the, the family that I have. Look at the backdrop that we are in. I mean, we live in paradise, people. We were down at the beach, and we were complaining. I was complaining about how the wind was blowing and sand was kicking up and, and the surf was, over, was so big. But at the end of the day, we were in a slice of heaven on earth. And we need to be th- sitting and, being, and dwelling in that thankfulness, routinely reminding ourselves of how much we have to be thankful for. We all have a pulse. We all have air in our lungs. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Paul's saying, hold on and be thankful. And the last thing he says is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Life is too difficult to do, on it, do it on your own. It's too difficult to get by by yourself. We're not designed for it. And isolation is a, is a quick route to, to not helping your problems, but to, to making them feel overwhelmingly huge. But here's the trick. A lot of our hurts, a lot of our pains come at the expense of other people. How am I supposed to submit to other people when the last time I did it, they crushed me? How am I supposed to put myself out there again when the last time it hurt so bad? What are people going to say about me? This idea of submitting is putting yourself in a position where other people can pour into you and be a part of your life. And they might have something valuable for you to learn. And that can be tough. And it's messy. If you've been around a church for any length of time, you know that it's just messy. But God's saying you cannot do it on your own. You will end up on the losing side of that all the time. Having a healthy marriage takes a lot of people giving insight. Getting through an illness takes a lot of people rallying around you. Carrying your own burdens will crush you. But that's where we run. We run to a state of independence, a state of, I can do this myself. And we can't. So Paul's saying, how in the world are we supposed to affirm each other if we're not putting ourselves in a position of being affirmed by each other? How are we supposed to feel close to Christ when Christ has said, I want you to be a part of my body, but if we don't submit to the body? We have men's groups that meet on Friday and and Wednesday, and we do some of the greatest wrestling with life on those days. And I'm so proud of my guys when we bring something to the table that's just overwhelmingly tough or sensitive, and we walk out of there going, man, I got, I got men to, to walk through this with me. It's one of the most fulfilling things I do. But we all have to submit. And this morning, I want to give all of us a chance to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to invite Jairus and the band to come up and and spend some time in song. And I want to try to find a song for you. You, Many of you might already have a song in your heart that when you sing, you're like, oh, this is my, I'm going to hold on to this today. Others of you, this might be a totally new concept. I've never even thought about this. But we're going to sing together. We're going to sing over you. But if there's some of you right now that are out there, and you're feeling, man, I'm that person. I'm the person that, that's not feeling as valuable or as shiny as I used to because, quite frankly, the, pers- the, the, the person that, that I was trusting kind of let me down, kind of kicked dust on me. Maybe you're feeling abandoned. Maybe you're feeling like there's just a, a gap in your life right now and you don't know how to fill it. If that's you, I want to invite you to stand where you're at.
And we're going to sing a song over you. And as, as we sing this song, if you recognize in yourself going, maybe, maybe I, I need to, this is my song too, then feel free to join and stand them. And as people are standing around you, if you're sitting, just be praying for them. Praying words of, of affirmation over them. Spirit knows what they need to hear. Let's sing.